Okay, everybody. Phil Stevens here. This is Iron Radio. I'm a strength coach, Highland Games athlete, powerlifter. I run Strength Guild. I still say I'm a Highland Games athlete. I need to go out and do another competition. Last year was screwed. <laughs> well, well, last year with the whole COVID thing messed everything up. I had a couple plans, but they all get canceled. So yeah, it's getting hard to call myself a Highland Games athlete though if I never practice it and never do it. So I should probably go do one. Um, anyways, Mike. Uh, this is Dr. Mike T. Nelson, associate professor of the Kerrigan Institute, creator of the Flex Diet and Physiologic Flexibility Certifications, and was home in Chile, Minnesota for a while, and we're headed out to Sun Valley, Idaho, do a little skiing and snowboarding. From Chile, Minnesota to Chile, Idaho. Yeah, I think it's been cold out there. I've been so busy, I I haven't looked at the temperature, and I figure we're, we're going anyway. So yeah. It got cold <laughs> here all of a sudden. It dropped down to, we've been in single digits the last couple of days, but I had about six inches of snow. It's just good. Oh. Winter finally hit. That's good. I like having snow yeah. in winter. So do I. I. I like seasons. That's one thing I missed in, like, Phoenix. It was like, but the best job in the world, I was talking about this the other day, would be a weatherman in Phoenix. Oh, yeah. That in San because, Diego. Yeah. He's just, it's going to be hot and sunny today. Every day. Yeah. And like, if you literally said that every day in Phoenix, you'd be wrong, like, three times a year. Yeah. Because it would rain a little bit. Um. So, anyway. Yeah. I remember going to Baja in uh, La Ventana several years ago, and it's, you know, normally very nice there. You know, pretty wind comes up in the afternoon most of the time, depending on what time of the year. And it rained for five minutes, maybe. And, you know, obviously it's a deserty area. <laughs> the, the guy at the hostel we were staying, he had, you know, local workers. And they were all protesting. They're like, it's raining. What are you doing, you evil person? You're making us work. And he's like, the school's like closed and everything like shut down. And he's like, I'm worried about them working out on like these hundred degree days. And they're like, ah, oh, that's nothing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, it's neat how you, the body adapts, man. Over yeah. Time. And that's like, we leave here and go to meets in California. Like, well, I usually go to meets in like November, December. So we'll show up and it'll be 60 degrees there. And we're like in shorts and t-shirts, tank tops and. The, the local populace is like, oh, my God, it's so freezing. Yeah. <laughs> you adjust to your climate. Yeah. Gets the 60 degrees in Florida, and all the locals are wearing sweaters and hats. And, yeah. and you know, the Canadians and Midwest people are all like, oh, it's a heat wave. It's like yeah, T-shirt exactly. weather, like shorts weather. Exactly. Like here, at the first time, once spring hits, it hits like 50, and I'm like in shorts. It's like, oh, this is great. I need to get my motorcycle out. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, funny what you get used to. It is, it is, and that's it was the opposite when I was in. Well, I lived in Phoenix for three years, so I was used to 110 yeah. degrees, and then I came back here. I was like, oh my god! But body adjusts pretty quick. So yeah, I have <clears throat> noticed since I got back from my extended stay in Costa Rica, I gave myself <clears throat> five days of just walking around and being outside. Of course, it was below zero most of the time um, before, <laughs> before I did any of the cold water immersion. And then even then, just getting back and doing that at 42 degrees was like, oh, I forgot how much this sucks. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Especially when you're just not used to it. Yeah, I couldn't get myself. We did the, uh, what did we do? We did those hot springs in when I was in oh, Montana. Montana, right? And then they also had cold pools. And I stuck my legs in it. And I was like, nah, not doing it. <laughs> not doing it. 
But in my defense, it was like the the hot pool felt good because it was negative eight out. Yeah, it was negative eight outside. I don't want to get in cold water when it's negative eight. No. (laughs) No. (laughs) But that was neat in of itself, though. I mean, that was refreshing. Just stepping out of the pool. Uh, Oh, yeah. good. Well, good. Like you're in a 106-degree pool and step out. It's like, ah. Or your head's out of the water and it's frozen. Yeah. uh, Your body's in the water. Yeah, even rolling in the snow feels good. Like that doesn't feel nearly as shocking as getting into cold water. Yeah. That's it's definitely a different shock. My son, on the other hand, was bouncing in and out of the pool. So I was like, "You are nuts!" <laughs> but he's also six, so yeah. That's amazing how kids naturally will almost want to do that. Yeah, I think is interesting. It's like, did we lose some of those adaptations? Is it a train thing? Like we're not supposed to do that. Like we've been told our whole life, you know, don't go outside if your head's wet. You're going to get a cold and pneumonia yeah. and die. And yeah. <laughs> Kids are like, I don't care. YOLO, bro, I'm getting in the cold water. <laughs> That's right. I was in Finland years ago. My sister was an exchange student there. One of her host family she stayed with, their mom had, you know, it's Finland, so a lot of them have saunas. And she had a hole permanently cut in the ice where she would go out every morning, do the sauna, run out in the end of the dock, jump in the hole through the ice, chip the ice off of it, go back in the sauna, and she would do that like a couple times. I was like, so what is the key to doing that? And she's like, wear socks so your feet don't stick to the dock on the way out. Like, oh, (laughs) nice. (laughs) Yeah. That was the worst part about that pool was it was probably, I don't know, 30 yards from the door to go back inside. Oh, yeah, just getting there. So getting back. Yeah. Because it was a complete sheet of ice because people come out dripping. Oh, People come out of the pool dripping and walk, so you yep. get out and it's like, oh, this feels pretty good. But rink. after ten yards, your mostly naked body realizes it's negative eight, <laughs> <laughs> and and you want to hurry, but if you hurry, you crash on your ass on ice. So no. you're going all slow, like ah, 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 yeah. ah. But I'd definitely do that again. Oh, that's and I don't know. There's supposed to be reported tons of health benefits from those, you know, the minerals and crap in those pools. But yeah, I actually looked that up. There's a whole God, I have it in my certification, but I'm blanking on the name. It's a baleen therapy or something. There's a whole technical name associated with it. Gotcha. And there's actually some interesting data. Now again, you can't necessarily parse out the state that you're in or if it's just the yeah. minerals or being in the pool or you know, all that kind of stuff. But if you take it as a whole, which again Maybe mineral content, maybe not. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some relatively positive data uh, with it, which is super interesting. And, you know, if you go back in time, they've been used for thousands upon thousands of years, which, again, doesn't automatically mean that it's the best thing to do. But yeah, interesting that it's stayed around as a practice. Yeah, and now it's a big business down there or up there, wherever, whatever you want to call it. I don't know oh, you yeah. Know. There were tons of those, but... I don't know. I was refreshed getting in there. It felt good. It was, and part of that was probably just novel experience of being able to swim when it's negative eight yeah. and be totally comfortable. <laughs> so um, it's, it's weird. Like I did the, the Blue Lagoon when I was in Iceland a couple of years ago. I did a stop over there when I was teaching for the Carrick Institute in Sweden. And it was bizarre to be like, you know, because the steam's all coming off mm-hmm. of it and you get out and you're like, huh. Ah, it's a little chilly. It wasn't horrible, but then you get in, you're like, "Oh, this is amazing." Yeah, 
And it was also so weird to see so many people wandering through this beautiful lagoon, like trying to spend like hours to figure out how to take the best selfie with their cell phone. (laughs) What are you doing? It just was, was weird. Yeah. Instead of enjoying experience. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that's, I mean, it comes back to what we talk, like we go on road trips. That's our big thing now. It's just, honestly, we've traveled more since all this COVID thing hit than we had before. And, uh, it's just seeing nature. Like, we're going to get out and see nature. And anyways, what I'm pointing towards is like, just being in the moment. Like, we try and take pictures of it all, and it's never the same. No. You can't capture it. And it's just like, and that's what I'm trying to explain to the kids. It's like, you're building just memories. You have mm-hmm. to just remember what this looks like and remember this experience. Because the, the picture sure can bring that back up, I guess. But it's not close to the same. Like driving through Yellowstone and camping there and stuff and taking pictures, like, that eh, is not close. You just can't tell how fast it is. And yeah, yeah, everything looks small. And I know the past, like, probably three years, I've been kind of actively not taking as many pictures. And I think it's because I have an aversion to my phone at some times. Mm-hmm. Like, I just don't want to pick it up and even go on it. Yeah. Um, so when we were in Costa Rica, we, or I took, uh, Thursday night through Sunday night, um, just completely off. Like, left yeah. my phone in my room, didn't turn it on. Uh, the assistant coach was, you know, handling any online clients, sent them all the notes, say, hey, just, you know, if anything urgent comes up, just text her because, sorry, you won't reach me, you know, yep. which feels so weird to do. It feels like, oh, my God, I'm not helping them. I'm such a bad coach. What <sighs> am I doing? You know, yep. and then once you kind of get over it, by Sunday night, I was like, huh. Yeah. I don't really want to turn my phone on Monday. <laughs> yep, that's what I do on our Christmas holidays. We leave for ten days every year, and it's just like that's my time to totally detach and just yeah. sh- shut it off. You know, and uh, yeah, that's great. That's great. I think more people should do that. But no, that's a good segue into like what we talked about. What we're going to talk about today is just you know, you know, our my life has changed largely because we decided to travel and more. Even more than ever, and not in just traveling, just we've made an asserted effort to get out in nature a lot more. Um, but what we were talking about is touching on is like the fitness world and fitness businesses in today's climate. And, you know, what have people moved to? What's most successful? Should it be like a all-at-home business? I know a lot of people that moved to that. A lot of people have moved to just yeah. all not-in-person training. Um, or there's just the in-person training. You know, you have the gyms like, uh, oh God, that guy that's on the, been battling up in New York or whatever, Ian Smith or whatever, like just oh, okay. to keep his place open and in-person. Um, and then there's people that have done kind of like we talked about and it's, you know, a hybrid of both, you know, and honestly, and that has, to me, that's the the way to go. Uh, yeah. But it had been since before all this, kind Correct. of, if you wanted to do, in my opinion. So it wasn't a big stretch for me. Um, when you're dealing with real people, like with elite athletes, it's different. When you're dealing with somebody that their living is training, um, they can do it whenever. So, But most people have lives and jobs, and life happens. And, like, I can't tell you how many times, like, my client's like, well, I got to go to a meeting in, you know, 
California for a week. What do you got for me? Yeah, oh, so you have to be a mix type of thing. You know, so I'll give them things for when they're on the road. And that kind of segued into this. You know, the people that feel they need to be away and not in the gym atmosphere, I allowed them to. You know, it's not like I'm not going to fire you because of your personal choices. Um, I'll deal with what you got. And it, it was a small adjustment, but luckily I'm used to that. And, you know, I've lent out equipment. I did this and that, trying to just meet everybody's needs as best as I can in the way that I can. So, I don't know. What do you have you changed for you? I mean, luckily for me, nothing really changed. I mean, other than obviously not speaking at different places. And even now, it's like, hmm, after what happened in Costa Rica, I'm like, eh. <clears throat> I may not be doing a lot of international travel for a while unless I can book an extra two weeks and have enough funds to cover it (laughs) on the, on the backside until everything kind of calms down again. But I mean, I was lucky I transitioned to God doing online stuff probably, you know, semi full time eight years ago, full time six years ago. Um, just because I did in person training, I, you know, still had a fair amount of clients here when I converted to just the gym in the garage. But what I realized right away was, oh, if I could do 30 or 40 sessions a week, yeah, I can pay my bills. I'd probably do okay. <clears throat> could I do it? Yeah. Would I want to do it? No, I want to jump off a bridge by the end of the week. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like I I can force my personality to do it. And I don't know if people would notice a difference, but I would not really like my life. I realized I like more of the kind of the technical stuff and being in charge of kind of everything, you know, from the mobility to the nutrition, Mm -hmm. the programming, because I had a few pretty high level athletes where I just got tired with arguing with their other coaches all the time. I was spending more time doing that than I was actually coaching the person. I was like, so if I just do one part or if I work with higher level athletes, it's just one piece of it. That's fine. And even then, I still have to know the person I'm working with. It's like if I can't sit down and have a conversation with them to understand what they're doing, then I'm just not going to do it. Um, So I got lucky. I just switched to doing online stuff. And I think my argument was that at a minimum, you should at least – Hey, Jarrell. You should at least have your nutrition component as an online basis, even if you run an in-person gym and that's all you do right because most of the people going to most gyms are there for yeah to get stronger maybe some athletic goals add some lean body mass and almost everyone has a body composition component to it Mm -hmm. if you're not doing anything with nutrition then it's going to be kind of a disaster and i get why most a lot of trainers at big gyms don't want to do it it's a pain in the butt they normally don't have a system it's Hey, let's do keto for 30 days and then let's do yeah. fasting for 30 days and let's just run random challenges. And yes, that's what I was going to say. People so confused. Yeah. Um, and of course, I'm biased because I have, you know, the Flex Diet certification and I've got a online mentorship where we teach people how to do assessments and how to do everything online. But now I think if you don't have at least some hybrid component, you just have to come to terms with you may be out of income for many months. And if you can float that and you're okay with it, then okay, fine. But I don't think you can argue anymore that, oh, this is a surprise. I didn't know this was going to happen. Like, no, it's unfortunately will probably happen again. And we've had sort of a crash course over 
coming up on two year trial run. So yeah. I don't think there's any excuse to keep being the ostrich sticking your head in the sand. Yeah, no, and you just got to be ready. You know, you've yeah. got to have it's for the time being, unless something drastic happens, um, a, a solar flare or some shit. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> the the, uh, the internet is here, and it's not going anywhere. And it's become, you know, it, it's a beautiful thing and a bad thing. But as far as coaching goes, like purely strictly as far as coaching goes, it's a great thing. You know, it attaches you to people worldwide. It gives the ability to coach worldwide. Like, I'm able to go anywhere and still do my job. Uh, you're, like, the number one evidence of that. Holy crap, you just you travel all the time. Yeah. Um, and you can be right on the spot, you know, instantly get video feedback, which is amazing, uh, and, and keep doing your job at a high level and help people. Now, hell, just like your video, your little clip you sent the other day of your client. Oh, yeah. 20 years ago, we couldn't have done that. Would oh, you no. mail me a VHS tape and tell me to look at it? Yeah. You know, now you I can, even tried ten. Oh God, twelve years ago. So yeah. no, fifteen years ago. Like right when, <clears throat> right when the flip cameras came out. Like right yeah. before anybody had one of those. It was horrible. Like even me trying to film stuff was a disaster. Much yeah. less trying to get a video from a client. Good friggin' luck. <laughs> Anyways, Drell, we're talking about the Drell's here. Um, we're talking about, uh, you know, the changes in our business since this the whole COVID thing happened. And, oh, yeah. You know, if people are, you know, trying to stick 100% in person, 100% distance, or, you know, some kind of hybrid variation. And, you know, both of us definitely have leaned towards kind of the hybrid. Like, you got distance clients, you got in-person clients. You have in-person clients that are now choosing to be at a distance type of thing and just the, the the changes we've gone through and how potentially this is a a lasting thing so i mean you either adjust and get used to it or potentially yeah. fail so yeah but um yeah i don't know it's not like you guys are kind of on the same like just with the online training and how that's gone so I mean, even before that, though, it was everyone was trying to break into like the Peloton and mm -hmm. that kind of stuff before we ever like before any quarantine stuff that was everyone was trying to do stuff at home, which I still think is better than nothing, but still less effective for the most mm -hmm. part. Yeah, I mean, there's places there's places it's it's tough, like weightlifting, for instance. I would much rather have a powerlifting client at a distance than a weightlifter. Um, oh, yeah. Because weightlifting, like powerlifting, we can make an adjustment the next training session. Like, okay, that squat, yeah, your squat looks good, but let's change this. Weightlifting, there's a lot of adjustment right there, right now. <laughs> um, that helps can happen. I mean, can you do it at a distance? Yes, it's possible. But the learning curve is a lot bigger than uh, if you have a coach there in person that's adjusting on the fly, especially in those first well, – people are going to hate to hear this. But I don't know, Jarrell, you can, you can throw your input in here. But, like, with the snatch, what I've seen is it's like you're going to get 
solid at this. Not great at it, but most people will get a workable, fundamentally solid snatch in about five years. <laughs> with coaching to where they can do it like, oh, that looks good all the time, pretty much. Like yeah. most of the quirks and little bad things are out of it. And it's it's like a five-year mark and something clicks and it's just happening with coaching. And that's not saying they didn't do well before. It's just their their tendency to screw up is about gone after then. So well, it's solid. I would say with the snaps and cleaning jerk with beginners, they can't actually feel their mistakes. Like, yes, no. When you've been doing it for a while, you can kind of feel your mistakes, and then it makes sense when you say it back to a coach. But like a, a beginner can't even feel their mistakes, so you'll tell them to do something like, "I think I'm doing that," and they're like, "No, that didn't look anything like what uh-huh. I said." <laughs> yeah, and you know, it just takes that like constant, repetitive, you know, movement, so they get it fine tuned to where later on, then they can say, "Hey, they have more." reasonable feedback but the snatch i would argue is like i mean if you have a good method of teaching it through drills like i think i can do okay teaching it through drills like just some basic stuff um then it's not a big deal like you can do okay like you'll obviously need to see a coach in person at some point but most coaches i will also say in weightlifting it's like they don't do a good job of coaching through drills. They just shout cues. And so yeah. that is almost impossible to learn. Mm-hmm. Like if you start kind of with some like, uh, well, some people call it like the tall snatch or I usually just call it like toes and go. If you start there and kind of work your way down position by position, it takes a lot longer at home, but it can be done if you can yeah. drill, drill through it. Then they don't really develop necessarily the bad habits you make minor changes like hey this bar like when you're here the bar needs to go in this path or whatever but if you don't do that from the jump it's like you do have to keep revisiting similar cues and coming Mm -hmm. up with drills and all that stuff more so than that with weightlifting though is i think it's really tough to get like truly get good at sport without some sort of club type atmosphere and it doesn't have to be, you know, whatever, but like just unless you're like truly it's like a deep down pure introvert where it's like the side of people gives you immediate anxiety or something. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think you'll thrive like everyone, including people who are more introverted, will still thrive more in a team and like a club type environment. So you're leaving a lot on the table if you just train alone all the time. Yeah. But like. The easiest way to overcome that is like to go like go train with them on a, a certain team on a day. Like you can do stuff like that would be okay. You just got to make sure not get confused when you go do, you know, train with different teams or different clubs yes. or whatever. So yeah, because they do things different. No, this is something that's interesting and it, it feeds right back into this, the whole topic we're on. One thing uh, versus in person versus at home. Uh, Matt Matt Coates, which Jarrell knows. He's been, this is his 10th year with me. Um, but the last year, he hasn't been in much, like once a month maybe. And basically what happened in his life, he got married, he had a kid, he got out of college, he got a real job. He, so all this stuff happened, which, you know, life happened, and so it's harder to get in the gym. So he built a little home gym where he can get, you know, workouts in. 
And then at the same time, he's so he's a PT, but he's also studying to become – he's getting a CS, CS, stuff like that, just to help his career. And uh, and I've been giving him a bunch of books to read, and he's like, the resounding theme in all these books is if you want to be a good strength athlete, is being in a team atmosphere. And I was like, yeah, I mean, that's it's true. Most – you can name a couple. There's a few outliers out there like Tommy Kono training in his basement alone or whatever. <laughs> but 99% of great strength athletes had a team, and they feed off each other and, and things like that. And that's that's the one irreplaceable thing about in-person. And it's less to do with the coach than it is all the other bodies there. I mean, the coach is great, but... Like in weightlifting, the easiest way to teach somebody what they're doing wrong is have them watch somebody who's doing it right. <laughs> you know? Look at Sally over here. Look what she's doing. Emulate that type of thing. And then they can actually see it happening in real time. Because it's one thing for us to tell them, you know, like, you're doing this, and then have, have Sally show them, here's where you're hitting. Like When the bar gets to the knees, you're here. We want you here. Oh, okay. That makes sense. You yeah. know, type of thing. I mean, I, things I treat, like that. Yeah, I would even say I treat coaching, at least in, in the facility I work in, is like number one. Like, yeah, there's technical technical coaching and all that stuff, and the programming is all there. But like the number one thing, especially when I'm on the training floor, is like you're kind of the like the vibe creator, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Like you 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 know you make you create an environment where hard work is the standard. You know what I mean? Like. You create the the parameters, kind of the bumper lanes, and then everyone kind of will will start to get in line. Essentially, like the more clients you have that kind of feed into the system, you can kind of teach them all through this one system. They'll learn, like, okay, this is what we do, this is what we don't do, and, and like even 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 how much like complaining happens at the gym is usually mm-hmm. a, you know kind of a, a like a vibe creation thing, like. Mm-hmm. You can kind of create this system within the athletes, like, yeah, we don't, yeah, we don't do that here. We're not about to bitch about workouts. We're not about to do that. And like, you'll have kind of mini coaches running around too. So where there, you have like newer athletes come in. They're like, yeah, we don't do that. They're like, yeah, we're not going to worry about that. It's like, it's okay. You can go lighter, whatever. And it's almost easier for athletes to ask another athlete sometimes, like, I don't know. Some people mention I'm like somewhat intimidating on the training floor, even though I don't think so. Mm-hmm. But it's like you have that aspect of kind of the bumper lanes. It gives you kind of a safe space, quote unquote, safe space for hard work. Like, you know, where you're all headed towards the same thing. It just makes your life way easier. Yeah. Yeah. No, 100%. I think the online business is, I think the online training business is really tough. Like I, I would assume. I mean, if you're doing physique stuff, probably not as as bad. You can kind of work around stuff. Or, like, if there are movements that are too technical or whatever, you can kind of just drop them, like, yeah, we're not going to do that. Or move to the next thing or teach it a different way or something. And you have a little bit more wiggle room. But, like, to really be successful in, like, as a sport coach online, and the ones I see who really, quote-unquote, are successful isn't that they are really good at the technical side of it. They just get a ton of people into their like kind of blog style program. Yeah. And the, the best athletes just rise to the top and then they 
essentially are there to take credit for it. Like, yeah. like, oh yeah, hey, and then they'll invite them down to train with them or whatever. Like they have a host gym and they'll invite people to it, but I haven't seen it to where it's like you just do online and you have all these, you know, national athletes or whatever it is. That's a rare thing. Yeah, where a large percentage of your athletes are great. Yeah, yeah. from the start too. Like yeah. if you have somebody, if you take somebody who's been training, especially in weightlifting, like somebody's been training for a while and they already have somewhat of a system in place and then you take them on as an online client, way different than. Yes. Yes. Starting from scratch. Oh, 100%. That's just like, like when I, I don't even know if, is athletes performance a thing anymore? Mm, Mike? <clears throat> I assume so, but I don't uh, really know. Yeah. Well, they were is big. The, it's a big facility. Up, is it north? They were north, right? They, well, they had one in Phoenix. They had one in California. And basically their whole shtick was they helped, uh, their main clients were draft picks for major league sports. Yeah, and usually number one first round draft picks. Uh, Mark Vestergen, right? He's, yes, he's, yeah. yeah. Mark and I went there, and it was the yeah, Versagen, and uh, like vastly underwhelmed at the training. But you know, basically, their only job was take these kids that are already going to be they're already projected first round draft picks, market them, and don't hurt them. Yeah. Like, it was really easy to take a first-round draft pick and make them a first-round draft pick. You just basically don't have to – basically, they kept them – they were babysitters is yeah. what they were. So on site, they had, like, little pods that each pod had its freaking Madden game that kids could – like, they, they lived on site all the time. Like, we're keeping you here, and you're staying out of trouble. And then they train them a little bit and – uh Talking to another coach, it was like, yeah, it's real easy to take a first-round draft pick and make them a first-round draft pick. Take somebody that's not projected to be in the draft and make them a first-round draft pick. Now you did something, you know. Yeah. And that's what a lot of that, like you, how this comes back is that's a you see that a lot in online places, uh, coaches that are purely online and basically their whole shtick is cherry picking already great people. And then yeah. they like, look what I did. She's been with me four months, and she went to nationals. Well, yeah, yeah. she was. She, she lost was, one kilo on her. her yeah, she, she was a kilo away already. <laughs> you did nothing. You know, take little Johnny off the street that's never done it and bring him to nationals in, you know, six months. Now yeah. you showed me something. So, yeah, there is that for sure. But Yeah, yeah. and that's yeah. a lot of what you – see um instagram and online is yeah it does take some skill to train higher level athletes of course but your number one job is just don't mess them up because yep. they're i've often joked that if you're training a, a high level athlete versus someone who's never really trained before which is harder to train the yeah. person who has never trained before because yes. they have no reference like you yeah. have to teach them how to do things they haven't done it before or high-level athlete, like, you know, a lot of times they're just pretty good at doing stuff. So your goal is, you know, don't mess them up. Uh, a buddy of mine years ago did his internship with the Chicago Bears. <laughs> and so he was in charge of uh, Brian Erlacher. And he's like, the coach pulls him aside. And he goes, okay, you're in charge of him. If you hurt him or something bad happens on your watch, just don't come into my office. Just leave. <laughs> And he's like, okay. And so, like, the second day he goes out there and he's doing, like, some 
max sprint on a treadmill or something crazy and he's watching him and he's like going oh my god he's gonna hurt himself like what's going on i was like i'm so screwed no one's ever gonna hire me again and but it the the catch 22 then is the same guy you know works with a lot of professional athletes now and he's like well how do i prepare these humans to run full speed into another human without applying some load and some stress to their system, right? Because you can go the opposite direction where you're so afraid of doing any harm that you're probably setting them up for higher risk of injury and, you know, longevity and a bunch of other things too. So you're kind of always riding that line of they're going to take more stress because they're advanced, but doing that in a, a safe way so that they can progress. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the, that's almost the thing that's happened with, I don't know. I remember when we went to the physical culture museum and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think Jude was kind of telling us that about the, the Texas program at the time. Yeah. But they kind mm-hmm. of eliminated the strength and almost like went to where they focused so much on like foam rolling and soft tissue stuff. And they did a lot of like, you know, it was almost like pre, it was like all prehab, like very little. Actual strength and conditioning, mm-hmm. and they got you know obviously you know team gets worse or whatever in his estimation. I wouldn't say I wouldn't know if that was exactly the case with Texas, but I would say that this has happened quite a bit where you see Division One schools are really safe and careful with their athletes, and mm-hmm. then you see little development on athletes. But where Division Two schools or you know one double A like lower end schools their strength and conditioning programs are usually better and then that's where you see people like really go to those program, go into those programs and then improve throughout the you know where you have people who go start out as not recruited at all and then they're getting drafted usually in the second or third round yeah by the time they you know are, are getting there like uh and this is a little bit different but nobody had really heard of the quarterback who he was like the one of the top three draft picks. So you had Justin Fields and he was pop. Uh, but the dude from North Dakota State, and he mm-hmm. really didn't even play his last year. But it's like you go there and then there's more development focus. So where they're like really trying to improve you. Like, so there's some risk in the strength and conditioning field. But the second you have that attitude, that idea where it's like, oh no, this is the star of the team. Do not get them hurt. Yeah. And you frame all of your training around that, it makes it really tough to like get them to peak performances as well. So, oh yeah, yeah. because it is do no harm. Like number one, we don't ever want to do harm, but uh, you got to keep progressing. <laughs> so it's yeah. this fine line of, you know, there are going to be times you got to take chances, you know, to get better, but. uh you know, and like I said, the, the whole athlete's performance thing, they're, all it was was do no harm. Like, yeah. let's just maintain this son of a bitch and not hurt him. <laughs> you know, as long as he doesn't leave here worse, we're good. Um, and it was just like, marketing. Whereas, you know, you, you go to another place and like, we need to get you up to snuff and you go to the next level. But yeah, it's I feel like the range in strength and conditioning is like either like pillow fight safe. Or absolute stupidity. <laughs> like, yes, yeah. I, mean, I saw, I think it was, it's a Division One school, and they were posting a video, and they were maxing out, and like they took the squat rack out to the field, and they had this like whole thing, 
you're playing loud music and all this, but they're maxing out Bulgarian split squats, like in a back squat position. Mm, and I thought, wow, this is really dumb. Like, I don't, you know, I don't think anybody got hurt doing it, but just watching, I was like, God, that's not smart. You know, like yeah. maxing out an assistance exercise, you know, taking it to the next level where like, this is, oh, back squats are not safe. Yes. Split squats are safe, so we can max those out. It's like, well, <laughs> like maybe, maybe there's a happy medium in there somewhere, but. Yeah, and that that's just like high school powerlifting in Kansas. Yeah. Is the whole squat bench clean. And yeah. the reason is because they, someone told them that the clean is inherently safer than a deadlift. It's like, come on, man. That's it's, a national organization, by the way. That's, that's not just, because they do it in Florida, too. Yeah. Oh, there's a lot of states. Yeah, exactly. And I know, like, down in Texas, they have real powerlifting, but... Like, whose mind thought that you can take these kids that are, like, 13 to 18 and a clean done horribly in 99% of the cases? Like, it's this ugly deadlift hybrid <laughs> where they catch with their feet really wide and they almost fall backwards. Is somehow <laughs> safer. Like, it's literally a deadlift with a throw added onto the end. <laughs> and, and And that's safer than just deadlifting. And they're like, well, it's just you can't coach the deadlift. Ooh. What? Yeah, you can coach a clean then. That's that's easier. Yes, and it makes no fucking sense. Um, yeah, and then I mean, the, yeah, the strength and conditioning field across college is in high school is weird. It's oh yeah, uh, and I think part of it is athletes. The star athletes get babied, like you said, and then they get used to that. Is the bad thing? Like you got this kid that was a star in high school, and then he's picked up by a school where he's a star and this whole time since like sophomore year of high school all the coaches have been just don't hurt johnny that's mm -hmm. it you know so they never push johnny <laughs> and, then, and then johnny gets the nfl and johnny sucks yeah and he's not used to being coached he's used to being babied and uh all of a sudden he's not so special when you're surrounded by special people you know, when you're when you're in a league where everybody there is arguably special, you're not so special anymore. And uh Johnny doesn't know what the hell to do. So uh Yeah. And I think even the the culture goes back to also what what is the goal? And I'm not ripping on strength coaches by any means, but it's easier to get buy in to say, Hey, we had all these guys who are freshmen and we added 80 pounds to their squat or whatever, right? But we all know at some point, if you take someone and you, they squat 350 for speed really fast versus you get them to 400, but it's like stupid slow. Did you really make them a better athlete? Like, yeah, you could show that, oh, look, we added 50 pounds to their squat, but I don't think you made them a, a better athlete. I mean, if they're, squatting 95 pounds you get them to 200 then that's you know something completely different um but i've always asked strength coaches i'm like who are your strongest athletes in the weight room like do they start most of the time they're like no they're almost always like the people not starting <laughs> which is to me always interesting right so i think a lot of times it's easier to justify numbers at you know lower rate of force development than something that probably is going to transfer to the field of play, especially if you're doing sure. non-time sports, you know, mm -hmm. hockey, uh, you know, 
football, whatever, right? If you're in track or if you're in swimming, I remember something Caldeed said to me years ago. He's like, all my new programs I try out on, you know, swimmers and track athletes because everything they do is timed. And at least I'll know mm-hmm. if I made them faster or not. Yeah. He's like, I have a really hard time telling if I'm going to make Johnny a better football player or not. Yeah, that's you know, it's much more subjective. Yeah. No, it definitely is. And like you said, a lot of times the best athletes in those, the best players in those sports, uh, a lot of times aren't the best in the weight room. No. Um, but, and that's. That doesn't mean like, they shouldn't lift though either. You no, know? that doesn't mean they shouldn't. And I'd, I'd say it boils down to in college and stuff, it's like the, the starters are arguably on the field practicing more. Sure. And the non-starters have a lot more weight room time. Definitely. <laughs> you know? So that leads into it. But now if you can mix those two, you mix a great player that gets lots of field time and practice, and then he also has the drive to train himself or take that extra time in the weight room, yeah. now you're looking at something special. Yeah. So. I, I would say like this, it's never like, so you always have, well, I'd say like the weight room heroes, you know. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of one of those things where they add to whatever the baseline is. I mean, I would go towards like some Bonder Chuck type, you know, how much does this apply? Because it's like you have this, like, let's say the starters, the people who play the most, they all get to a certain level, right? And it's like past that level, you don't really gain a ton mm-hmm. as long as you just maintain it. I mean, I would say for, I'll, I'll use CrossFit as an example just because I was dealing with those athletes for a while. So in CrossFit, getting to getting a 185 dude to a you know 200-kilo squat and like a 250-plus snatch and 300-plus clean and jerk was usually enough, mm-hmm. right? Spending extra time going from 440 squat to 500 usually be kind of a waste of time. Like if it happened naturally, it's great. Whereas you have some people who wanted to just go to that 500, but their, you know, actual ability in the sport of CrossFit got worse because they chased that in that alone kind of thing. And they ignored everything else. Yeah. So it's like, there's a, there's a baseline of numbers. Like, like you got to get to these numbers. That's going to require some strength training. But beyond that, it depends on how much focus you have. Like, spending that much time, like, going from, and I would say, you know, it happens with powerlifters too. Like, getting to, like, 550 to 600 on a deadlift is really tough, but not, like, crazy. Going from, like, 600 to 650, that's, like, the investment of time and energy is a lot more. Mm -hmm. So it will take away from everything else. Oh, yeah. And that's one. We talked about this on the show a lot. Like, when I decided to... Pretty much 100%. I, I, I did CrossFit before CrossFit was a thing type of thing. I was a, I, I dabbled in multiple things. Like I could run, I could do this. And then I made that choice to, okay, I'm latching onto the strength thing. Like I literally had to make the choice of and know and accept that these other things are going to go down because I'm going to purely chase this. And that's a, that same thing happens in football and everything else. Well, who the hell was it? It was, uh, God, everybody loves him. Uh, Poliquin, when he took, mm-hmm. uh, the wide receiver from San Diego the whole offseason. Dude was a pro bowler, all pro, 
and then mm-hmm. he spent the off season with Pollock and, and he came back fucking jacked. <laughs> like he was huge and he like they they made him so bodybuilder, he sucked. Like yeah. he lost his game. Because he he was so mm-hmm. big and he just he lost his speed and quickness and things like that. And it was like, yeah, strength is great to a point. Yeah. Uh, when you're talking about sports. So, especially in a position like that as a wide receiver where you know, he needs to be able to move and cut and things like that. Uh, you look at a lot of those guys and a lot of the skill positions or whatever in, in sports, they're not like gym heroes. No. It's not what they do. You know? I mean, you look at Patrick Mahomes, he looks soft. You know? And he's a hell of a player, and a lot yeah. of wide receivers and things like that. So you see him on the street, you're like, huh, okay. It's like the frickin' Navy SEALs when I, I lived <laughs> in their home base, like where they were based out of. And it was like, I'd see them, and it'd be like, dude, I could take you. Knowing full well that dude would kill me in four seconds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but looking at them and watching them in the gym, it wasn't impressive at all. But their skill set beyond that is so huge that it's like, Oh my God. So. Yeah. In that case, you just, <clears throat> you need enough strength and ability to repeat. Like you guys were saying at a pretty good baseline and that baseline's yeah. not exceedingly high, but your job is to do all the other skills, right? You're not competing yeah. in the seal Olympics for who can lift the most weight. Yes. You know? So I think that's the part that, especially being in fitness, right? We all think, Oh, well, it just, we just make everybody stronger. It's going to be a linear response and they'll just be that much better. Yes. Like, no, it's, it's pretty nonlinear. Yeah. Like you yeah. get to a certain point, it just, it becomes so hyper specific that what are you doing as a trade off? Right. So a buddy of mine was telling me about a Olympic coach in Europe who, I don't remember if it was a 200 or 400, but a female athlete and, she was doing good, but her acceleration was not up to par with the other people she was competing against. So they took, I don't know, it was like two or three years or whatever, got her acceleration up to where the other competitors were. Her top end speed slowed down. Mm-hmm. So they work on top end speed. Her acceleration slowed down. <laughs> yeah. You know, because at an elite level, it's almost that specialized, right? Mm-hmm. And you're trying to figure out what gets the most transfer from, and that's just two aspects, right, from a linear athlete, you know? So you're always trying to figure out if your goal is even speed and power, and you have to be specific with what it is you're trying to do. If that's not your goal, then get to a good baseline, you know, whatever properties, you know, strength qualities you need to achieve that, then you're probably better off spending most of your time doing the specific skills because that's what you're going to be graded on. Yeah. And no, I 100% agree. And that's like when I take pictures on and things like parents will often yeah. bring in like, yeah, Jimmy needs to get stronger. You know, he's mm-hmm. a pitcher. He's this and that. And the, the one thing I will take them on. But before we ever do that, we have an agreement to where that's fine. Jimmy's going to come in for seven months and train. But, my agreement is that Jimmy needs to still pitch oh, during yeah. that time. Cause you'll see a lot of these people, well, I'm not strong enough. So they like dump their sports specific training uh, and they go to get stronger thinking that's going to help. And the big thing is like, if I take, let's say I take Jimmy and he's just super weak, which I've done 
and uh, he's a good pitcher, and I just make him stronger, markedly stronger. Let's say he gets 50% stronger. Jimmy goes back to pitch. He sucks because his whole body's changed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's got all these different movement patterns and muscles, but if you take that same kid and let's say he strength trains three times a week and still pitches four times a week, as his body changes, his pitching changes with it. You know, it's these minute changes then that happen on the fly because you're doing both things at one time. So instead of a big, you know, now, Jimmy, I've made him stronger. He didn't pitch at all, and he sucks at pitching. So now he needs to take eight months to get his pitching back, and he loses all the strength, you know, <laughs> because he has to get used to his new body. And then, yeah, he gets used to it. And so it's it's doing all those things at one time. But there's only so much you can do at one time is the problem. So yeah. everybody's folder is only so big, but yeah, and that's what Darrell was talking about. People forget that's the transfer to sport. Yeah, right. If you're getting stronger and you're a power lifter, then great. Yeah, squat bench dead. That that makes sense. Yeah, your sport's very simple. That's it's what it is. Pretty sure. simple, straightforward, easy to measure. Yes. You know, other sports like Dan John has said too are are very fuzzy. Mm-hmm. You know, like what does it take to be a better wide receiver? Yeah, uh, <laughs> lots of things. You know, first lots of things, right? Answer. There's no easy answer. Yeah, and that's where like Jarrell was talking about as a coach. The easiest way for me is like in CrossFit. I trained a lot of people to get better at that, and the way I did it was we would take, okay, where do you want to be? I want to go to the games. So generally, what we would do because there's always different people in 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 all sports. Like there's different, there's people with different attributes that are great with being a wide receiver. There are different people in CrossFit. Like some of them are stronger, some of them better at endurance, whatever. But take the top 20 of the people you want to be, average that out, and we get a pretty good idea where you need to be, baseline. Yeah. You know, you need to be this quick, this strong, be able to run this far in this amount of time. If we get that median across a vaster population, we're probably pretty close to where you need to be as an individual. And that's what we used as baselines. Like Darrell said, it's not a 600-pound squat. It's 450. (laughs) And then if you accidentally end up higher than that, while we keep those other attributes in range, we're getting somewhere. So... Yeah, because you've only got so much, even with lead athletes, like you can do all the recovery work you want, but at some point you're you're going to be limited in the amount of work you could output, even if you yeah. didn't have skills practice, even if you didn't have a life, right? Even if you don't have all these other things pulling at you, there's only so much work you're able to do. So how are you yes. going to divide that up into the things that are going to transfer to the thing that you want to do? And that's that's the neat thing that's come to light, though, in the recent years here. And especially when young athletes is they've figured out that basic boring ass strength training is good at making you generally stronger and at stopping injury. Like just from being a stronger athlete and to a point, of course, we're not talking yeah. about elite strength, but just weight room work can inhibit injury if done smartly. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, you know, if I take if somebody's just horrible at squatting, let's say I have a kid that's 18 and he can squat 135. Um, like I literally had a kid come in who was 16 years old, a great pitcher, already pitching like 90 miles an hour, 
because he's like six five mm-hmm. uh, and left handed. And like day one, he got crushed by a fifteen pound bar squatting. Um, like he couldn't do it, and we got him up to like a one eighty five squat, which is not that's not insane. <laughs> like that's no, pretty fucking. That's a huge improvement a from where you started. Kid. Yeah, but for a sixteen year old kid, it's not strong at all. He's no. still weak as shit. But like his whole game got better just from we got to have some basic strength. You know, he had ignored it so bad that, uh, you know, I was not a magic worker. I was <laughs> like for that. Oh, no, go ahead. I was I, like his sprint time. He went from the slowest kid on the team to one of the fastest and we did no sprinting. You know, he just wasn't insanely weak. <laughs> he could move himself. So, and that's what you have to look at with each person. Like, I don't need, I don't need Tyreek Hill to be, to squat 800 pounds. Mm-hmm. That would hurt him, you know. I'm an I'm an idiot, but you see a lot of coaches that do that in football. You see a lot of there's high school programs that are running West Side mm-hmm. for their football players. It's like they're not fucking powerlifters, guys. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not their sport. So, go ahead, Drew. Oh, did we lose you? Oh, we lose him. He was quiet there Sports. for a minute. Oh, exactly. there you go. Sorry. Uh, I was thinking that's like the importance of like standards, like finding standards in the sport. Right. So, you know, in CrossFit, it's easy because it's barbell stuff for the most part. Mm-hmm. But in, you're really trying to, for the higher you get up, you're just trying to find the weakness and crush the weakness. Mm-hmm. Like you find that glaring problem and then you fix that. Right. Like, so. Like with this, you know, with the kid, it's like, okay, strength is a glaring weakness. Bringing that up will have a direct impact. But up to the point of the standards, it's like beyond the standard, yes, you know, it does. it's not necessarily going to add to it. So working on it specifically to get above it, not going to do much. Like balancing out hinge and squat and various movement patterns, you'll see that help with like, you know, injury prevention too. Like, so if your squat is crazy, but your deadlift is like way be way behind it you know like people have issues with their injury you know any any kind of force production but so if you bias a program towards developing their hinge to balance out the squat their squat can improve too but it's like everything comes up like all their performances will come up mm-hmm. and i think most sports do a really poor job of like finding those areas and they just pick a few things that they like you know, most coaches pick a few things that they like, and then they just stick to those things, and they just drive those up, you know, regardless of what's happening on the field, without any, you know, guess. It's like kind of guess and test, but there's really no test, right? Yeah. Like, it's just, like the idea of having a 300-pound Bulgarian split squat, I don't know that that would be like <laughs> – uh-huh. <laughs> I'm not sure that that would translate directly to whatever's happening on, you know, the field. Yeah. Now there's other things that go into it, like you, you know, getting kids excited to train. I understand that that's a huge part of it, mm-hmm. and mine too. So, and I haven't had to experience like a, you know, a weight room with what where I'm a hundred athletes, let's say. Yeah. We got a hundred people. I have to like try and improve all of the, you know, Same simultaneously. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then well, at the at the polar opposite of the whole. 
you know, let's train the whole football team like powerlifters is then the one that the other one that drives me crazy is the the super sports specific people that are like, okay, a football weighs a pound. We're gonna take a six pound pound football and have you throw it, and that'll make you better. Or you know, the two pound baseball, and it's like number one, like these guys are getting a pitcher for example, already gets all this wear and tear. And now you're adding on a training stimulus, a weight training stimulus that is the exact same motor pattern, only weighted even more. And now we just get massive overuse injuries. Oh, yeah. And a two-pound baseball compared to a five-ounce baseball is totally different movement pattern. You know, you're having to recruit things and put load on things that just is not the same at all. And that's that drives me even more nuts. It's like they ignore transfer. Like, oh, why don't we just have him do some light overhead presses and some rows? Like, the, the risk of injury is nil. <laughs> and it's not stupid. You know, and it could help. So, yeah, I mean, anyway. Well, we're running over. It was a good we, – we ventured off topic. In a in a good way, but so. Hi right, guys, until next week. Later, Mike. Hey, Mike, are you there?